Welcome to They Did What? They Did What? Uh, I am Rhiannon. I have a degree in... No, that's not right. <laughs> I have an arts degree. <laughs> and my major was in archaeology. In the rest of the world, outside Australia, mm. that's known as having a degree in archaeology. Right, right. Sorry. I just, I consider the fact that I actually didn't have to do field work kind of weird. So I don't feel like a real archaeologist. I did do field work. I did go and do it, but I could have done the degree without doing field work. <laughs> Fantastic concept of theoretical degree. Mm, mm. For those of you wondering who the disembodied male voice is in the conversation so far, I'm Mitch. I have a BA in history with a focus on naval history in the Atlantic Ocean and on military warfare and things like that from about the Stone Age up until the invention of the steam engine because then it just starts being boring <laughs> and it starts being large quantities of people dying because it takes five seconds to learn how to kill someone. And there's nothing funny at that point, really, until the 1940s, but we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can hear, Mitch has a, a bit more experience, a bit more knowledge than me. Um... I'd... Mainly because, according to Rhiannon, I've been 32 for the last five <laughs> years um, and still haven't actually reached that age. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, we met teaching the largest collection of antiquities in the Southern Hemisphere. Which is always a kind of a not-so-humble humble brag mm. to be able to pull. Just like, oh, what do you do for a living? Well, I teach everything from preschool to master's level at university with the largest collection of antiquities <laughs> in the Southern Hemisphere. You said you were in microfinance? <laughs> I love how you say that like we can earn a living from that job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we could earn a living from that job, a blog would not be something that we would do. No. Or a podcast no. or any of the thousand other things that we do mm. to make ends meet. Like in my case, marrying someone who owns a lot more than I do. Um, for all intents and purposes, we're going to be focusing on random, ridiculous and funny stories from history as far back as ancient Greece, Persia, even uh, sort of... I don't know, if I can find one from the Neolithic, I'm going to go there. Unga <laughs> <laughs> bunga. <laughs> I was about to say as far back as Gilgamesh, but if we go further back than that, that's going to be amazing. Yes. Um, but all the way up to sort of uh, even the modern era, looking at things that don't get spoken about much, don't mm. end up in many history textbooks, or that just seem really strange. We're also going to take a look at a couple of apocryphal stories. Yeah. Ones that made it into textbooks, but definitely aren't the correct story. Mm-hmm. And there'll be some that, like, if you've done high school history, you may have heard it in passing, but some people might have never heard them. Yeah, and if you did high school outside Australia, like I did, you're definitely not going to know some of these <laughs> stories. Um, and because I did it outside Australia, some of these stories, Rhiannon, will definitely not mm, know. Very true. Um, you know, knowing what happened in the American Civil War, not really a big part of graduating in Australia. Mm. That is true. Instead... I learned about uh, the technology of the 1950s. Very important learnings we did in year 10. Mm -hmm. Nothing about ancient Australia. No, I didn't learn that till university. <laughs> you know, very important stuff to know there, but 
Let's learn about the technological intervention. <laughs> interventions. Interventions. <laughs> Inventions. <laughs> and interventions. Mm. That was when they really started to pick up. Psychiatrists yeah. were like, do an intervention. They'll be fine. <laughs> Just bring and, the robot in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Technology and AA were on the rise. Mm. <laughs> we realized we had a problem. We stopped tiling all of the Australian bars. What? For the longest time, every Australian bar was tiled up to just above belt height and had a drain in the centre of the floor so they could be hosed down at the end of every night. <laughs> That's how heavily we were drinking in the 50s, 60s and 70s here in Australia. They're now considered heritage sites. You're just not allowed to puke on the tiles anymore. I love it. I should, I should introduce that one to Connor. Connor, let's bring this back for your next bar. Um, I think you should do this. <laughs> This is the kind of thing we're talking about. The stuff from history that people don't commonly know, don't commonly talk about, or isn't commonly taught. I'm going to be telling the first story um, of this whole thing, mainly because I wanted to talk about the fact that it takes a Scotsman to kill someone after they've been decapitated. <laughs> Typical Scot. <laughs> He's like, you can take my life. No, you've taken my life. Right, I'm going to take yours about... Two weeks later, when I'm dead, <laughs> and you've cut off my head. My favourite thing here is that I'm the one who went and studied acting, um, went and studied that, but Mitch is the one who can do the accents. <laughs> I was boring. I needed something to encourage people to talk to me. <clears throat> but our first story really is going to be set in the Orkney and the Shetland Isles. Now, anyone who has studied the history of theatre will also know that that's where the idea of Macbeth is born, as one of these Jarls, or Earls of the Orkney Isles, attempting to subjugate the southern kings of Scotland. We might get into that, I don't know, but probably not today. <laughs> We're looking at 892. C.E. No B. <laughs> um, and for all intents and purposes, the Orkneys and the Shetland Islands are just full of pirates. They're pirates from Ireland, they're Pictish pirates who have been able to like move north and hold on to some semblance of their culture, while the Scots sort of just go, no, you have to have red hair and tartan on and nothing else. And the Picts are sort of like, but we like blue as well. <laughs> and just sort of keep getting pushed north. Uh, Vikinger coming over from Norway and Denmark, even some Germans who are still moving through in this migration period. They're all sort of setting up these small farmsteads and raiding settlements and just going, right, spin it, whatever direction it points in, we're going there and we're taking whatever we can find. And then we get a man with an extremely Jewish name who's not Jewish okay. coming along and conquering the Orkneys and the Shetland Isles in the name of the King of Norway. The man who did it is, and I have to lean in close so I can pronounce this correctly, Rogenwald Eysteinsson. Eysteinsson. I, I would try and copy that, but I don't think it's going to go well. <laughs> At this point, he's the Jarl of Moor, um, and he's, for all intents and purposes, told, like, go over there, they're pissing me off. <laughs> conquer the Shetlands, conquer the Orkneys, tell the pirates to go back to Ireland, go back to Wales, go back to Scotland. This is now part of the Kingdom of Norway. Okay. You say and conquer from... the Shetlands and I'm like, yeah. the ponies? <laughs> the little ponies? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And he does. In the process, one of his sons is actually killed, taking the Shetlands and the Orkneys. And the king of Norway is like, well, because you did such a good job, you get both. Hmm. I don't know where I'm from at this point. (laughs) The Norwegian accent had not been invented yet. (laughs) He gets given, for all intents and purposes, oh, this is Pirate Island, and this is Pirate Island, and you have to now protect it in my name. Okay. Not a gift. This is a chore. And so he passes it off to his brother. His brother whose name is Sigurd, takes control of both of these. He's the younger brother of a Jarl. There's no chance of him inheriting. He has to make his own name. This is all background. You need to know where we are for this story to start making sense. So, Sigurd takes control and starts raiding into Scotland almost immediately. There's complete peace in the area, and he immediately starts a raid of conquest down to the south. Mm -hmm. He takes twice the equivalent of size of the Orkney and the Shetland Islands combined in conquest. And starts to piss off a significant number of the local warlords and earls. As (laughs) you would imagine. Yeah. The one he annoys the most is a gentleman by the name of Mailbright of Moray, also known as Mailbright Tusk, or as the Saxons and the Northumbrians translated his name, Mailbright the Bucktooth. That's unfortunate. (laughs) To go down in history as the Bucktooth, Mm. Yep. That, I mean, that's that's up there. That's oh, names like Ivar the Boneless, <laughs> Alexander the Pretty Good, not great, <laughs> but pretty decent. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he, he's the one person that is most annoyed by Sigurd coming down and just being like, I have taken this, I have taken this, I have taken this. Oh, I made a fort. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? And we just start seeing a massive ramp up in raiding. Cattle raiding, sheep raiding, pig raiding, young men being sent back and forth across Milbright and Sigurd's borders. Very common for the time. If there's one thing that the English of Northumbria always agreed on, was the summer brings shitty ground and Scots. Raiding to the south, trying to take land, trying to take back what they thought was their kingdom. It's a fun time. Mm. So, this goes on for a little while, and eventually Sigurd is like, Okay, look, let's just do one big fight, winner takes all, 40 men aside. They set up the first pick up football game in history <laughs> just with swords and axes and bows yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Mailbright gets to the battlefield first dismounts gets his men ready for a shield wall you know the typical duel that you're expecting of this time Sigurd and his 40 horses come riding in and that it's at this point that Mailbright is like aha I've got big big teeth but I do have big eyes as well And there's four legs hanging from the side of each of those horses. 
Oh. Melbright had bought 40 men, mm. as Arna dictated. Sigurd shows up with 80. Well, someone's a dick. <laughs> and wipes them out. Like, to a man. You don't normally get this. Usually it's like, fight, kill people, get exhausted because it's been 20 minutes in heavy mail, shields, swords, stabbing someone in a big rugby scrum. Mm. No, just all of Malebright's men and Malebright gone. And Sigurd, who likes to show things off, is like, right, we killed them. No one was here to see us kill them. So we need to get something to prove we killed them. Cut off everybody's heads. Everybody's. Every one of Malebright's men is ordered to have their head be taken off and tied to the saddles of Sigurd's men. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's up there. Mm. Like Sigurd doesn't show up for a very long time. And if he had, he probably would have been slapped down by the King of Norway at some point mm. for just being a little too intense. Yeah, 40 heads is a lot. Like, <laughs> like 100% of the heads mm. that died that day, let's tie them to our saddles and take them back to our fort and shove them on spikes so Ugh. people can see we mean business. And you got to feel for, like, all of his soldiers because, like, they've just had this fight and then it's like, we're not done. Everyone, go find a head. <laughs> Work in a pair, since there's 80 of us. <laughs> yeah, one of you hold the hair up so the neck is extended. Mm. The other one swings. And then if Everything your swords are a bit fine. blunt from the fight, that's oh, a bit of a, oh, a long time. <laughs> oh, swords blunt from the fight. Yeah, they hit twice. Of course their swords are blunt <laughs> in a fight in 892. <laughs> yep. So at this point, there's 40 decapitated heads. Yep. And Sigurd, who didn't kill Malebright is like, I'm taking the head of my vanquished foe, and ties Malebright's head to his saddle. And this is where things go wrong for Sigurd. As they're riding home, Malebright's head and his giant tusk-like buck teeth is bouncing around. Mm -hmm. It bounces around and suddenly jams in and scrapes down the thigh of Sigurd cutting through the cloth of his pants and opening a bleeding wound. That's what you get for wearing pants in Scotland. <laughs> Keep in mind, the human mouth is an absolute mm. cesspool of bacteria yeah. when we're alive. <laughs> when we're dead? It's a little bit more terrifying. Sigurd is like, ha ha ha, one last attempt by my enemy to kill me. Except he's right. <laughs> <laughs> they make it back to Sigurd's fortress. Over the next couple days, the wound becomes infected and starts to swell the leg up oh. with just the infestation of gangrene and pus. Mm -hmm. It leads to him dying, sweating, raving in a fever, unable to hold his sword or his axe and enter Valhalla. Mm. And just... Dies in his sick bed. As people are arguing, do we amputate the leg or not? <laughs> like a couple weeks too late. Yeah. Should we clean the wound? Should we amputate the leg to Sounds save like his life? Sounds like they just didn't want to. No, very much not. Yeah. <laughs> he dies. The Shetland and the Orkney Islands immediately fall back into piracy. Hmm. The best part of it all being... 
that there is a board game in the Orkneys based on the story of Mailbright killing Sigurd after he had been killed. I'm sorry, how does this board game work? I have no idea. Do, do I just you, know it, it exists. Is there something to do with your teeth? You're like, I'm just gonna... Based on the dental hygiene of the British Isles, it could. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of dice, it's molars. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's such a concept of like who we are and what we do that it just becomes this big thing. Like... If you can bite like a Scotsman, you can kill a Viking. Mm. It slowly but surely starts to become ghost stories, especially amongst Vikingar, who come through the area, who are like, ah, but did you hear about this Scotsman <laughs> who could kill a Viking with his bite? That came vaguely Transylvanian, and I apologize to our <laughs> vampire can... viewers. <laughs> I can just imagine them sitting around a campfire, and someone tells the story, and someone else is like, ah, oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> and just a head floats out. <laughs> Someone walks in with a Scottish head. Yeah. It's like, ah, get it away from me, I don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. At some point, I do want to talk about, like, the reanimated dead and everything mm. the Vikings did to stop things. Like, Draugr and reanimated corpses and hauntings from happening. Yeah. But I just want to leave you with this concept of, there's a whole, whole cadre of Vikingar and Norwegians who 100% believe that the Scots have magic infused to, into them that allow them to bite their enemies to death even after decapitation. <gasps> I love that. I wonder if... Cause I'm, so I'm a quarter Scottish. Do you reckon I've got enough? <laughs> Should we try it? <laughs> just, Wait, just, just, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> just in one eye tooth. You've got enough yeah. power in one eye tooth. Maybe that's why I was born without one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like, what that tooth was. The gods saw too much power in your birth. They were like, no, this one does not get the eye tooth. No. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess join us for our next story mm. uh, when it's time, when Rhiannon will be telling us a story about. Oh, about the Great Emu War. Slightly more terrifying than a bucktooth Scotsman, really. Mm, very much so. Have you ever seen an emu? <laughs> okay. Thanks for that, guys. Uh, we'll see you next time. Yes. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.